You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today we're talking about a topic that I'm really curious about. And today's topic is all about how do you launch and grow a successful B2B podcast? How do you set the right expectations, decide on the format, differentiate yourself versus the competition, and much, much more? And to help us out with this topic today, we have Harry Morton, CEO and founder of Lower Street, which went from 500K, $500,000 to a million in just six months and works with specialized niche agencies launching next level podcasts that actually make money and build their brands. Harry, thank you so much for taking the time today and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so before we jump into our juicy topic today, we like to start with a question to help our audience understand you a little bit more and get to know you. So what is something that you're passionate about that people who only know you through business might be surprised to learn about you? Well, I guess a couple of things I could share, but I, I suppose one of the things I'm passionate about is travel. My wife is from Australia. I'm from the UK. And I spent a lot of time traveling through my 20s. And one of the sort of most amazing experiences I had during that time was buying a motorcycle in Hanoi and driving it all the way through Vietnam to Saigon, which was wild. I'd never ridden a motorcycle before. I had no idea what I was doing. This thing had four gears, that like these wow. indestructible Hondas. And we were going up mountains and, and just completely getting lost in all areas of the country. And it was just the most phenomenal experience, both in terms of just kind of what we saw and the things around us and the, the scenery and the experience of riding this bike, which we'd never done and the kind of freedom, the sense of freedom that comes with that, but also just the incredible generosity of the people that were there. Like we've kind of stayed on beds of people when we got lost up mountains and they kind of fed us and watered us and it's just amazing. So yeah, that's a time I look back on extremely fondly and uh, yeah, maybe that's something that not so many people know. Wow. That's pretty adventurous. To be honest, I was terrified. Well, <laughs> I was I terrified you, you, you knew how to ride a motorcycle because that would be my fear. Like, I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> right. But you did it all at once. Yeah, I had met a Dutch fellow on a boat a few days before when we were going through Laos on our way to Hanoi. And he was like, everyone's doing this thing where they buy bikes. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll come. And it was, I was absolutely terrified. But then once you're in, you're in. And, it's, and it was amazing. So, yeah. That's cool. I met, a, in my travels, I met a couple in Madrid, Spain, and they were traveling in a Morgan that they had shipped Amazing. from the U.S. to the U.K. And then they were going to spend four months traveling Europe in their Morgan. And I go, Beautiful. so how's that with the luggage? She goes, well, all we could fit is a small little bag in the back. I go, wow, four months, two people living out of one small little bag. He goes, oh, no, we've planned this ahead of time. We ship our luggage to the next hotel after every major city. So I'm like, wow, like it. that's pretty cool. So, all right, I digress. <laughs> Nobody came to listen to that story. Tell us a little bit <laughs> about Lower Street. How'd you get there? How did you arrive at this amazing point in your career? Yeah, so, I mean, I've always been producing audio. I, from as young as 12, I was making like little radio plays with my sister on a cassette tape, like radio recorder thing. So I've been doing it for forever and I went to school for sound and worked in audio post-production studios when I graduated university here. 
But then after sort of some time in that industry and getting a little burnt out, honestly, it's like it's not a super, the kind of London ad agency world is quite intense. So I kind of got out of that and ended up working in sales and marketing for a couple of years. And that's when I started traveling. And that's when I went and eventually ended up riding a bicycle through or a motorcycle rather through Vietnam. And it was through that whole period of kind of doing marketing and sales that I was very keen on the lookout for the opportunity that where I could start a business. I wasn't sure that was going to look like, but I spent the whole time listening to podcasts, educating myself on how I was going to start this business. And I suppose you could say the penny dropped probably a bit too slowly, but it did eventually drop that, hey, I, I understand audio. I get this. There's Podcasting is this incredible medium where I'm learning so much about how to create and run my business. And yeah, I have something here to offer and, and maybe there's an opportunity for us to, to help brands do exactly this. And so that's what we did. And that was in 2016. We've been running now for, I guess, six years and we have seen a tremendous amount of growth, as, as Lisa said. And a lot of that is due to just this kind of explosion of the medium. I think everyone is, there was already kind of a growing space and then the pandemic hit and suddenly everybody is, is kind of listening to podcasts, engaging with audio. And uh, there is, as a result, a lot more interest in creating that stuff. So we've been in a really kind of exciting place to try and ride that wave. And we've learned a lot about that along the way. So yeah, that's a bit about us, I suppose. So love to hear, how are you able to grow the agency to those seven figures? And have you been able to maintain it? Yeah, so we are growing at a real clip. It's been kind of a pretty wild ride as a first-time entrepreneur. Like this has been an interesting experience to say the least. And we've grown to 18 folks now on the team. And I think that, so firstly, I put that down, I've put it down to a few things. Firstly, like I said, the pandemic accelerated growth in this space really, really fast. So we were just positioned, we were right place, right time, right? You kind of, you've got to surf out to the waves and put yourself in a position to catch the wave when it comes. And we were luckily in the right place. But also I think for us, I'm not going to blow my trumpet, but we very much focus on pre, the premium end of podcasting, right? Making really great stuff. And I think by standing out as we hope real experts in our space, that's positioned us well to do that. And that has sort of, it's this self-fulfilling cycle, right? We do great work that allows us to bring on really exciting clients that allows us to hire really talented folks. And so that's just sort of been self kind of perpetuating to some degree. Okay. And before we go deeper into it, how have you been able to kind of differentiate yourself? Can you share with us some simple thoughts on hey, maybe even why more B2B companies are starting to leverage podcasts? Yeah, I think so. There's a bunch of reasons that podcasts are really exciting for B2B brands specifically. And I think that's partly it so the first one, every, the kind of cliched terms that get thrown around in podcasting is it's intimate and it's authentic, right? But it's really true, right? We listen on our headphones. It's a one-to-one -one medium at scale, right? And I think the opportunity we have to build real lasting relationships with our audience because they buy into who we are as people, not just kind of faceless brands, is a really kind of exciting thing. And I think when we add into that, the fact that the average podcast listener is pretty affluent, pretty successful, pretty educated, we find that we're reaching an audience that is quite desirable. And then we're reaching them at a time when actually they're really hard to reach. If they're at the gym or they're driving their car, you can't show them your white paper or you can't play them a, a YouTube video, but they can be listening to your podcast. So we're reaching hard to reach folks at times that they otherwise couldn't be reached with a medium that allows you to be really connected in the way that you're communicating with them. It's not sort of a cold article or, or whatever. So I think that's it. Also, the barriers to entry in podcasting are substantially lower. You know, if you're trying to make a really high quality video, that's a big undertaking. And in podcasting, it's definitely not easy. I think the assumption is that it's easy and it's not. And then when we talk about differentiation, I guess that's where we kind of sit as being the expert guides there and, and folks that can help do a really good job. But nevertheless, it is the barriers to entry are considerably lower. So there's, it, there's nothing stopping us kind of 
giving it a go. And I think as time goes on, a lot of brands are seeing their competitors start show, start podcasts. And we're going, okay, like the water's warm here. Let's jump in and give it a go. So yeah, in terms of how we differentiate, we're really focused on shifting the approach to branded podcasts from being the kind of standard interview format show, which is great, but it's a long established show. This show, for example, has been around for 200 some episodes. Like that's when you start a new podcast today, you're competing with shows like you, right? That have been established for a really long period of time. So I think if we're going to stand apart and actually see success with our podcast, we've got to do more than that, actually. I think we've got to kind of actually really make our show noteworthy and and stand out. And that's how we try to differentiate ourselves is the company that can help to do that, to tell sort of more detailed stories and think about more creative formats outside of just the standard interview. That's a perfect segue because when you're talking about next level podcasts, what does that really mean? Like help the audience and us (laughs) understand what that means. And and then why would somebody start an unsuccessful podcast. Right. Yeah. No, nobody's out there trying to create a crappy podcast that doesn't (laughs) succeed. Right. So that's definitely not the case. But I think for a lot of folks, this is an unknown space. I would say 90% of the, the people that come to us looking for help have never started a podcast before. I think most brand marketers have not podcasted in the past. And so I think that nobody sets out to not succeed in the work that they're doing. But I think actually the difference between average and great is quite big in in kind of the education and the, the gap in knowledge and experience. So I think a next level podcast is one that does that, like I mentioned, sort of we're trying to make really noteworthy content, really stand out stuff that doesn't just sort of get mixed in with all the noise. So in terms of the stats, in 2018, there were 550,000 podcasts out there. In 2022, there's two and a half million active podcasts in Apple Podcasts. There's actually a bunch of others that are inactive, but that's the quantity we're dealing with. By the way, that pales in comparison to what we see on YouTube, the blogosphere, if that's a term that people even use anymore. But like, <laughs> so there's loads of opportunity here in podcasting. But nevertheless, like the competition is really strong. And I think the vast majority of people are launching with a standard kind of format and approach. We're going to talk to these experts about these topics, and it's going to be wonderful. And then they have to sort of put that out there and hope that it competes with everything else. And I think what we're really focused on is how can we tell stories that are a bit more engaging. Definitely, our listeners will probably want some actionable insights. They want some like meat and potatoes they can take with them. But how do we package that in a way that's actually genuinely entertaining? I suppose the other thing to mention is like, we're not just competing with our competitors in the same niche, right? Like, so let's say we're, I don't know, we're, we're machine learning experts, right? And we want to make a machine learning podcast. We're not just competing with all the other machine learning podcasts. We're competing with Joe Rogan right? Because that's something else you could spend your time listening to in the car. So I think we have to really think about how do we make this show an engaging and entertaining experience for our listeners. That makes a lot of sense and probably isn't as simple as it sounds. (laughs) So I'll definitely ask you more about that (laughs) in a minute. (laughs) One thing that we are really curious about, because it's something we're considering here at the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, video versus audio, or having both, does it make a difference? Does it depend on the audience? would interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think there's Edison Research is a company in the podcasting space that does some really interesting work and around how podcasts are discovered and everything else. And I think what we're seeing is as this audience has exploded, right? We've gone from 550,000 to two and a half million podcasts, loads more listeners in the space. The way that people are interacting with podcasts is very different. So it used to be that really podcast listeners were weirdos. They were nerds with their phones that like the fact that you even knew what a podcast was would be weird. Whereas now you everybody is understanding of the term podcast. But if they think, okay, where do I go to find a piece of content? They think YouTube. So actually a lot of new 
folks to the space are, are going to YouTube first to find the content they're looking for. And that includes podcasts. So I think the main takeaway there is that for really every podcast, there is opportunity on YouTube. It's the second biggest search engine on the internet next to Google. So having some form of our show there is kind of a no-brainer. Now, doing that well is tricky, right? So I mentioned before the barrier to entry in, in audio. The minute we include the sort of video element, we're suddenly having to deal with that. So I think the sort of dream scenario, the best case, the really good way to use it, if we can learn from some of the most successful podcasters out there. So Joe Rogan is an example. One of the reasons that his podcast exploded was that he has these two-hour marathon episodes, which is, that's either your taste or it's not, but let's say that it is. He then take, took that and broke it up into eight to 12-minute segments, right? And it'd be like Elon Musk talking about the future of AI, Elon Musk smoking a joint, Elon Musk doing this and that. And so he had these like really bite-sized things that were really searchable and really like sampleable, right? So if you've never heard a podcast before, it's really easy to find an eight minute clip and check it out and go, oh, this is actually a great show for me. Now I'm going to go listen to the long form version on the podcast. So that for me is the best way to use video and the biggest opportunity in YouTube. But that's not easy, right? Like that's a lot of extra work. So there you can just in some cases, we'll put up just like the unabridged. So we'll heavily edit the audio version. So what goes out on the podcast, we might record an hour's worth of material and put out like a 25-minute episode, right? So we're leaving a lot on the cutting room floor. So there's an opportunity there to say, cool, for the unabridged version, go to YouTube. We've got like the talking heads thing, and you can kind of listen to that if you want even more of this goodness. And then likewise on YouTube, you can say, hey, if you're enjoying this, we've got a really concise, great audio-only version that you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts. Go over there. That's good too. But I think the gold standard is those kind of like shorter clips. That makes a lot of sense. And going back to what you were saying about this is what our debate has been as well. Like the amount of people that listen to a podcast in the car, at the gym, while they're doing other things, does that video element really matter to them? When you're thinking those are, you're actually multitasking. Like the whole point is I want to listen to something while I'm doing something else. So Thinking about the searchability, though, I love that you brought that up is like YouTube, second largest search engine. How are people finding your content? So that makes a lot more sense to me than the podcaster really wants to interact with video. So I see the point there. That's great. So when you're talking to your clients and thinking about metrics of success, what are the things, what are vanity metrics? What are the true metrics of success? How do you measure them? And what should a successful podcaster be looking for in those metrics? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody cares about the number of downloads they're getting and their position in the charts, right? Like that's, those are the things that most people look for. And certainly those are important. I don't want to ignore those at all, but I think it's really important, especially as B2B marketers, where we're actually not, oftentimes we're not most concerned with quantity. We're really focused on quality. We want to make sure we've got a hundred people of the exact perfect fit for our offer engaging with us in whatever way that looks like for us. So it's very easy to get stuck in like, oh, well, our TikTok campaign got like X thousand impressions and, and engagements and the podcast has only got X hundred downloads. But then if we go, okay, how much engagement do we get off those two? And how does that compare? I think that's where podcasting really shines. So what we have an absolute laser focus on and really encourage clients to focus on more is the average consumption, the consumption data of our podcast. So we can look inside of Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts to understand when we log into those platforms, it can break down for us each episode so that we can understand the average engagement rate. So of this episode, our listeners on average consumed X percent of this podcast. And even on Apple and Spotify, you'll see like a minute by minute graph. So you'll see where you lost people and where people skipped content and so on. That's the stat that we obsess over because if we are holding the attention of our listeners, 
and we've got them for like a 20, 30, 40 minute episode. And we've got them there for like 80% of that. Like that's a massive win. They've, we've spent like 30 minutes in a room with somebody. That's a huge level of engagement. We compare that to like the engagement we see on social. Like you'd be lucky to get 5% completion rates of your like videos on Facebook or whatever, right? So that's a real win. So that's the one we really want to focus on is doesn't matter how many people are listening, but the ones that are listening, do they care? Is it resonating? Because then if that's true, then it's going to grow as a consequence of that, because if you're finding value in something, you're going to share it with people. So that's the stat that I really encourage folks to talk about. Yes, the number of downloads you're getting is relevant and it is important. And we definitely want to look at that and study that and think about how we can improve it. But really all the learning is going to happen from that consumption stuff. That sounds great. That makes a lot of sense. So when you're working, it could be a client, you're working with a lot of different people, a lot of different companies. Is there a B2B podcast that you really admire that you think they got it right? There is a bunch and I'm going to pick one that's not a client of ours. So I don't feel like I'm bragging. (laughs) So who should I pick? So I think there's a couple of companies that are really leaning into this stuff and doing an amazing, amazing job. So one of those is ProfitWell. If you're familiar, ProfitWell is a SaaS company that is all about the subscription economy. They've got products and services that help subscription-based businesses optimize their, their revenue and pricing. What they decided was they saw this this rise in podcasting and video content in content marketing in general and decided they wanted to create a network within their organization. They called it Recur Media and literally built a media company within their team. And that was like the big, that was their whole marketing play, right? And what they wanted to do was own the subscription economy in media. They were like, well, no one here owns this niche. It doesn't exist. We're going to create it and own it and be the go-to kind of source of information for this industry. And they have done a phenomenal job. So phenomenal, by the way, that they've exited. They sold to Paddle for $2 million. So I think it worked out pretty good for them. So I think that is a wonderful example. And the reason it's a wonderful example, not only is because they've gone extremely aggressive with it, but is that they really articulated so clearly who they're seeking to serve, why they're seeking to serve them, and then really thought carefully about, okay, who, what does that audience want? They obviously realized that audience wants a bunch of things. They made four, five, six different podcasts and video shows that all address those different pain points. But they've really thought carefully about their listener and what that listener is looking for and worked backwards from that. I think so often as brands, it's really tempting for us to go kind of a bit navel-gazy and go like, this is what we're interested in and this is what we know about. So we're going to talk about these topics and put it out there and then hopefully there's an audience for it. But actually, if we start with our listener and go, what are they already engaging with? What are they missing in their life? What can we uniquely provide and then create it? We're so much more likely to succeed. And so, yeah, I think ProfitWell is an amazing example. So I recommend everyone go check that out. Awesome. And we didn't do it, so it's, uh, you know, (laughs) no bias. All right, this next question, I don't know if I should ask it, but I think we can handle it. We're growing up. Ooh, sounds spicy. So what do you think about us? I mean, how are we doing? You know, do you consider B2B revenue executive experience? Is that a successful podcast? Yeah, well, so firstly, I I think it's important to say, like, that's for you to say, right? Like, is it providing the value that you want? If that's the case, then it is a success. And it doesn't matter what I think about the content. Ultimately, it's here to serve a purpose, right? For the audience and for you. The second thing I would say is you've been around for 200 plus episodes, which is a huge achievement that actually most, the vast, vast majority of podcasters do not achieve. So that's huge. But you exist in a, a dense space, right? Where there's a lot of competition. And so is there opportunity to kind of stick your head up above the noise a bit? Yeah, I think there probably is. And I think what I do love about what you're doing is the fact that you have co-hosts. I think that adds a dynamic that most shows do not have. And I think that's really important. And if you guys can develop, I don't know how long you guys have been working together as co-hosts on this. It sounds like it's relatively new, right? Yep. 
few months. A few months. Yeah. A few months. Awesome. And so I think like developing the, your characters is like really important. So like Lisa is the gal that's always got this point of view and like Carlos is the guy that always says this kind of thing. And I think if you can develop those sort of isms, those ca- almost catchphrases, I know it sounds cheesy, it's not as corny as that, but like having that real dynamic and relationship and like as a regular listener, I'm like, oh God, that's so Lisa. Do you know what I mean? That's a relationship, right? Because that's what we listen to for podcasting. Radio has been doing this for decades and decades and decades. You toot, you turn in on your radio station every morning that you that you like to listen to because of the host that's there and the relationship you have with them, and so that's what we have the opportunity to do in podcasting. So I think yeah, that's what you should embrace and kind of try and do more of. I think as a show that's so well established as it as this one is already, we don't necessarily need to make huge wholesale changes to the format. Instead, we know what's working, but how can we like really optimize it and make it better and and enjoy it more? I think if we're starting from scratch, that's when I would assert, hey, we've got to we've really got to push the boat out here and, and think of ways that we can innovate and do something that's that's not already out there. Thanks. Appreciate it. I think I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> Two sides of this thing. So on one side, it, for our listeners, if they're trying to develop their own podcasts, what would you say are the, I don't know, top three things or two things you decide that, hey, are really important? Is it your setup? Is it your content? Is it the room you do it in? Is it consistency in your role? I don't know. What would you say are some of these top things you got to really look for to make sure you're getting it right if you want to have a professional level podcast? Totally. Well, I think you nailed a a few really key things there, right? The tech side, what gear you're using, how professional it sounds, that's obviously something we obsess over. And I think it is really important. It's kind of table stakes to have a decent microphone these days. But the brutal fact is, if the content's amazing, we'll listen to it, right? So that's not the be all and end all. I think the biggest, most important thing that we can do is what I mentioned a moment ago about ProfitWell is just having and being obsessed with our listener. So the process that we go through when we're launching a new podcast and we recommend folks do is to basically build what we call like a competitive landscape, right? We want to understand the world in which the podcast we're going to launch is going to live. And so we do that a bunch of different ways. We want to look at it in terms of what's the search competition. So if we know that our podcast, I'll go back to the machine learning podcast. We know we want to create a machine learning podcast. We're going to search for that in Apple and Spotify and see what content comes up. What are we competing with there? We want to learn if we can sort of on a demographic basis, like what does this market listen to? And there are tools that can help with that, like uh, Spark Toro is a, a great tool that gives you kind of insights into specific audiences and the content they engage with. So we can build a list of podcasts that are consistent among those. And we'll find a lot of those podcasts will not be in the same niche as ours. So that's really interesting to see. And then the other way that we look at it is through Apple Podcasts, we'll show you there's a if you click on a podcast inside of Apple, you scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, it'll show you something that says listeners of this show also subscribe to mm-hmm. dot 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 and then a bunch of shows there. And what that's telling you is that there is an overlap in audience. So there are subscribers on Apple that subscribe to both of those shows. So that's giving you like some really interesting insight into the the overlap of your audience. So when we have like demographic base covered, we've got the keyword base covered and we've got our kind of audience overlap, we can build then a really detailed picture of our landscape. And that's where we begin, because then we're going to learn, okay, of the most successful shows and the ones that are most closely aligned with ours, what are the common themes there that we want to make sure we definitely include in ours that need to be present? Like our listenership is clearly looking for that. But then also, where are the gaps? Where's there's opportunity? Where's the thing that we can uniquely bring? I think that is hands down the most effective thing we can do. Like we can add all the polish we want in post-production, but if we haven't nailed the kind of concept and the idea, the, the premise for the show, given it a real reason to exist and understand what the listeners are looking for we're just sort of setting ourselves up for failure from the beginning or at least mediocre results right not necessarily failure and in fact mediocre 
mediocre results are often the worst, right? Because it kind of like, it's okay, I guess we keep doing it, but it's not really doing enough for us. So like, what do we do? So that would be the biggest thing, I think. Okay. And I could give you more, but I've waffled on for long enough. So hopefully that's a good <laughs> enough answer. <laughs> All right. So let me flip it the other way though, Harry. So sure. what would you say the number one thing that most people get wrong or they don't prepare for in a podcast? They don't consider it. Yeah. What is the thing that most people get wrong? I think that once we've created our concept for the show and we're creating podcasts each week, I think a lot of folks underprepare. Now, you guys did a decent amount of preparation. You sent me some questions in advance. That was amazing. I think that's really good. Although, by the way, coming back to tips for you, I actually would recommend you don't do that, by the way. It's great. But I think what we want to avoid is canned responses from our listeners. So you guys have some questions that you ask every guest. I think that's great to prepare your guests for because that would be like to be blindsided by like, tell us something that our audience doesn't know about. You're like, ah, what the hell do I say? So that's good. (laughs) But like the specific questions, because what you don't want is like boilerplate answers that are kind of a bit robotic. So something to consider, because what I'd loved when you sent that to me was like the effort that was clearly in there and the preparation. I was like, okay, this is going to be a good conversation. This is not going to be a waste of my time. But the downside is I could prepare. So I purposefully didn't. I just scanned them. I was like, okay, cool. I got a general gist and I'm not, I'm just going to make it up as I go along. And as you can tell, I waffle on like a waffly British person. But anyway, so, but preparing for your interviews is absolutely critical. And I think a lot of people just sort of assume they, they, they plot a few kind of bullet points. These are the kind of main things we want to talk about. And then we'll just sit down for 40 minutes and have a chat and like good stuff will come. And I think that is sadly rarely the case. I think the more we can plan, the way we plan it is sort of almost in three acts. We want to have like a goal, like a plan we're trying to get to. We know this is the, the value the, the guest can offer. These are the stories we want to try and get out of them along the way. And here's where we want to end up. Having that plan ahead of time is huge. And I think most people just figure if they put two smart people together in a room, like stuff will magic happens. And yeah, that's just not true. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice. I actually, we've got to take that advice, Carlos. Maybe we'll send our always questions to people from now on and then the rest will be a mystery. I love that because the the authenticity and you mentioned authenticity a few times, but I think that is something that we see in sales as well is like there's a genuine thirst for authenticity. And if you can't be authentic, but also enthusiastic about what you're selling, or in this case, what our topic is, why would anybody want to listen to that? Totally. We've all been blasted with like the cold spam emails, right? Of just like totally automated crap. And you need that personal touch. I completely agree. The other thing I I should add to that, by the way, is that a thing that really, really helps is the pre-interview. So again, this is extra work, right? But if you can have a 15 minute conversation with your guests before the interview, you can learn a a lot around what they're able to bring to the table, what the specific things are that you want to dive into ahead of time. If they start telling a story and you're like, oh, this is great, like just stop them, go, no, 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 I want you to do this fresh on the show. Like this is gold. We're definitely going to ask that, but let's park it and we'll come back to it later. But you can also suss out, okay, this is where they're a bit boring and this is where they're a bit lacking in knowledge. And then we can make sure that the time we have in the interview is, is really good. So it is an extra step. It's not something everyone has time for, but it's huge. That's a really good advice too. Jeez, we should be paying you for this. <laughs> <laughs> My PayPal account is, don't I? I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, well, this is why Lower Water is such a great agency, why you've seen such great success. So we're changing direction just a little bit, but it, it dovetails nicely off what you just said about spam emails. We ask every guest two questions at the end of each of our interviews. And one of them is, as a CEO, founder, business owner, you are also a revenue executive and you get prospects to on a regular basis. So when someone does not have a referral, when there's no connection or warm introduction, so it is a pure cold outreach, what can they do that you actually believe does build a little credibility, captures your attention, and might even inspire you to respond? 
yeah, I'm not sure if it's like ego or self-importance or what, but like for me, it's effort, right? I know that sounds dumb, but it's like, is someone actually putting in the effort? Like, or am I just a, a, a line on a spreadsheet? Like, I mean, we're all inevitably a line on a spreadsheet, right? Like that's what we are. It is sales is a numbers game, but you don't that you need to make that not brutally transparent. You want to. So for me, it's when people actually take the time to learn about who we are and who we work with and what we do and how they can specifically help us. Not just, Hey, we offer this thing. Do you want to talk about it? Would this be helpful to your business? But no, this is, we've seen this about you and this is where we think we can help. That is the thing that makes a difference to me. Yeah. Again, like it's to say, I'm really passionate about doing fewer things really well. And so for us, we want to do podcasting. That's all we do. And we want to do it exceptionally well. And we talked about how you can make standout podcasts, next level podcasts. It's really all about being noteworthy, being worthy of note, right? Like different from what else is already out there. And I think the same is true for any sales campaign that you're doing. I think if you do less outreach, but you do it really, really well, my assertion is that the you're, you're going to do better. Awesome. All right. One last big question for you, and we call it the Acceleration Insights. What might be that one thing you would share with our listeners, that one piece of advice that you believe would help them in achieving their goals, their targets? Hey, maybe get them to get to the seven figures or more in their business if they haven't gotten there already. Yeah, it depends what your goals are, I guess. So it's it, But for me, in growing a business as a business owner, it's been about the people. I don't know, maybe it seems too obvious, but just surrounding yourself with incredibly talented people. I am the worst storyteller. What we do, what we sell is storytelling and I'm terrible at it. I just, I understand it and I, I love it and I'm passionate about it, but I need to hire a bunch of people that are really good at doing that. And that has just massively accelerated what we've been able to do as a, as a company. So just surrounding yourself with amazing, talented people, more talented people than you is what's worked for me. Thanks. That's great. That goes back to the don't ever be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> Totally. 100%. That is rarely the case for me. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Uh, So perfect. Harry, this has been fantastic. If one of our listeners wanted to, was interested in talking more to you about these topics or about lower water, what's the best way to get in touch with you? So Lower Street uh, is at lowerstreet.co. No worries. And, but I hang out a lot on Twitter. So you can find me at podcast Harry. So I guess I can't switch industry because now my Twitter handle says what I do. So that's one thing. (laughs) I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. But yeah, all the work that we do is at lowerstreet.co. Perfect. So I have to preface my mistake because our listeners may or may not know I'm based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And one of our main streets in our downtown core is called Lower Water Street. That's so funny. That's awesome. I was practicing. I was practicing (laughs) not saying lower water before this. And there we go. I obviously failed at my practice. That's so great. So I apologize for that. No, 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 not at all. It's not a problem. (laughs) It's like when you're mountain biking, you're telling yourself, don't hit that rock. Don't hit that rock. (laughs) And you're heading right towards that rock. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what just happened. I hit the rock. Well, Harry, thank you so much. We can't thank you enough for your time today. We know how valuable it is. And it's been great having you on the show. Yeah, it's been a real blast. Thank you so much, both. Amazing. So everyone, that is it for today's episode. I know we could, uh, you want more. This was a great topic. However, we want to, we have to finish up at some point. So that does it for this episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your kids, your dogs, maybe get them off screens for a little while. And if you like what you hear, please throw us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next time, I am your host, Lisa Schneer, joined by my co-host, Carlos Noche, and we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. 
Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.